we're talking about the good today. Oh, is that backwards? Is the American so, begins? The adventure begins. The adventure begins. Oh, sorry, I could I didn't see that very well, obviously. <laughs> Let me try again. Uh gen- what does it say on the other side? Uh the adventure begins. Uh, I can see now because I made the screen larger. Gentleman's hardware. That's just the uh company that makes it. But when I when I uh didn't understand why God was calling me out of the ministry and we were driving back up. My wife got me this and she said, we don't know yet, but this is what we do know. The adventure begins. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so you know, I thought we'd spend our whole life in, in, in California, uh, Santa, California and Santa Cruz. Surprise, surprise. You're back in then, Spokane. Yeah. And then God was like, left turn. And we like, I don't understand. And, my wife's point was, you don't have to understand. It's an adventure. That's not how adventures work. Oh, why are you starting there? All right. How do adventures work? <laughs> well, that's the... This, do you have, are, you all, are you all caught up? Did you read? Yeah, I am, actually. I, I caught up. Uh, I read through last night. And let me show you. I got to show you what I... I, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I bet I have some of the stuff highlighted that you're probably going to talk about. I just got, I just got, I just, okay, let's just go. Let's just start on the page. I want to see if I, if I did highlight some of the things that you're probably going to hit because. Well, I, I think the, uh, the, well, let's look at page. I'm trying to think, I couldn't remember exactly where we left off, but I well, thought like it was 88, in section four. 88, oh, 89, I think is where we left uh, off last time. Is that where we left off? Okay. Yes. And uh, actually, I think it was probably 86. But okay, don't tell me uh, halfway down the page of 92. That's not actually probably something you have highlighted, but it's a question that I had around. Okay. Um, but definitely page 93, um, right where he says, yeah. among the months. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to hit that one. And then down the second uh, paragraph there. Right when he says, we have seen the ev- that evil. Uh, Actually, that whole yep, piece. Exactly, yeah. That whole yeah, section. Yeah, yeah that's okay. The, that's the section. Yeah. I, I'm learning. All right. That's the, exactly. Well, you start to see, like, oh, he, because this is how C.S. Lewis works, is he builds this argument. He pulls the pieces. You know, He's here's complicated. A piece, here's a piece. Here's a piece. Um, and you, what you don't realize is that they're all bricks. And yes. Then, and and he and he kind of builds this foundation and then he steps up on it and you get you get a view. Point, the view. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you get yep. a view. Yeah. He steps up on there and reveals to you the but you know, part of the I don't know that the modern mind can even read C. S. Lewis, let alone the stuff that he's trying to get us to. I think he's a way back, but it takes some work, man, because it took me a minute, like as I was reading him, I'm like, man, what are you? Uh, granted, there is a part of it that because I haven't read uh, the Fairy Queen, that I'm ignorant to a lot of the things that he's talking about, right? right. So I'm not yeah. caught up on the whole narrative. But even so, the way he's breaking it down, explaining, I'm like, there's no way I can read the Fairy Queen, right? And that, that's what, yeah, I, and that's why we got started with this book at all is that the imaginative, the ability to imaginatively enter into a work like the Fairy Queen is beyond the imagination. And so it's like, it's, it's, you know, there, um, you know, St. St. Louis, who's 
sort of the St. Patrick of France, you know, um, or of the Gauls. He used to go in and to the Gauls when they were um, pagans in just into their towns. And um, he would find uh, a, like a barrel of pickles, for example, like a full barrel, 50 gallon barrel of pickles. And he would lift it up over his head. Yeah. And, and pretty soon people would come to see the strong man and he'd be, and he'd be lifting things and and once he had a a get crowd gathered he'd step up on the barrel of pickles and say now that i've got you here let me tell you about jesus right he was but he he was he knew that he just was the strongest person anybody had ever seen and so he was using that to his advantage as an evangelist you know that kind of reminds me of these guys who go out there and like let me break and rip phone books and <laughs> yeah no totally he was like the the early church um power team yeah <laughs> i don't i but, don't know if i like that jason well no i i that's i'm just telling you what happened i'm not yeah. I'm, no, I'm not approving it i'm just <laughs> not judging one way or the other it's just but what the, happened there's nothing new under the sun right there's you know right. there's evangelists right. that would have like um dirt with blood mixed in it from the holy land that they would say was you know somebody gathered up dirt underneath the cross and they uh, and they would open the dirt and and walk around the city with it before they started preaching. And then when they preach, it was effective. And so they said, man, that's some powerful dirt. <laughs> so completely then they, you missed know, out on it. Yeah. Completely, yeah. But it's just, that's just the seeker sensitive movement. Um, but we, our dirt is sociology, you know, <laughs> they, the, um, it's the, oh. we've, we've all got the same, we, we've all got the same temptations to magic. But the point with St. Louis was that uh, he, he didn't start with the, the huge you know the the biggest strongest thing to lift he started with something else right well the uh, he started with small things and worked his way up that's how you get strong you if you spend all day trying mm. to lift the thing that you that you can't you're never going to lift it but if you lift things that you can heavier and heavier and heavier then eventually you can lift the thing you can't and i and in a lot of ways you know, imaginatively being able to enter into other people's uh, the previous generations' worldviews, I guess you'd say, or, um, generations of Christians that were much stronger than us. Um, we can't. We have to build our imagination up to it, and that starts with you know, um, you know, the, the the weights. And in a lot of ways, this is like imaginative weightlifting, where it's like, okay, we're just working on this one muscle. Right? Mm. right? We never, in real life, just work on a single muscle. But if you're trying to get strong, generally. You have to work on this muscle is weak and it, so it can't, can't keep up. So we're, and uh, that that's what C.S. Lewis does um, is he says, let's just work this one imaginative muscle. Let's just work on the images of good and evil. And he even says, we're not talking about motivations to good and evil. That's a whole different thing, right? We're not talking about, he's just, just what, what does evil look like in the world? Mm. Once when when a person has embraced it, what does that do to them? Not even what did caused them to embrace it yet. Um, right, that's a whole another topic, and that's what we're because of the psychological movement, um, the movement to psych psychologize everything. The church that in, the church embraced, you know, the first time we embraced it was the liberalism movement, the modernist movement, and now we're re-embracing it under the counseling movement in a lot of se sections. Because of that, though, we're really concerned about our motivations or motivations and 
you know, what what motivates somebody to evil and um and that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that and you know shakespeare has a lot about that dostoevsky writes about that a lot like they're great christian writers that spent their energy there um but they all had it already settled in their mind what good th what the image of good was that they were aiming at we don't even have that settled and so when we we mm. end up with an, an image of good that is psychological um if that makes sense yeah no explain that well so um you know i was just listening to a really good interview yesterday with um and one of the old snl writers and cast members who um who is who uh has a drug problem right and has you know since he was a teenager um and you know and uh he spent you know about a decade um snorting adderall and so he was talking and he was talking about it and then he said but now he's been he's been sober a couple of years and he talked about how he got sober and it was all about learning to identify psychological states and then explain them uh explain what they really were in a way that kept him in control of himself rather than losing control of himself mm. and, which is not none of it was there was nothing he said that was bad or that couldn't be used well by a christian right he, he talked about how um if you let anger take over that the root of anger is selfishness right that you, that somehow um somebody's offense against you uh is is such that um you have to get them back or right? pride so the, yeah yeah that, that, that that's a a, a a pridefulness that says I'm this important. Right. And I sit yep. there saying that and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That's a psychological um, foundation to anger. Um, you know, the, and uh, when you can stop and learn to recognize that all of that is good and true. And um, it's not salvation yet. Right. You're just, right. but it might be the sort of thing that gets, uh, enough defenses down or enough opening that they can actually hear the gospel rather than just respond in anger or something like God could use something like that because it's in and of itself, it's a good thing. Um, it, even if it's not a saving thing, which is another distinction that the medievals had that we don't have. Right. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> we'll, we'll, Wait, we'll get to oof, that too. Oof. Um, but he, the, the, all of the, all of the descriptions that this guy gave of um, getting things right were descriptions about the 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 negative um, uh, the the negative aspects of psychology the the loss of control and the regaining of control of psychology. Every single one of them he that he described you could do sitting in a dark room with the lights off without leaving a chair. Right, mm. that because psycho because psychology and salvation in a psychological, uh, in a psychological universe, um, is all in your head. Mm. That image of good, that 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 is mm. informed the image of good, which is all it's all an internal states question, right? What that that image of good that was is being sought, um. By, by these psychological means is all an internal state type of question, right? Whereas, so the image of good that Spencer puts forward is an incredibly active, 
bodily experience, right? What is it? What does it look like when all things are right in the world? It says you're hunting dragons, you're singing, you're dancing, um, you, your your family's out, uh, you know, in the forest hunting together. You're, you know, you've got these descriptions and images of good um, are all a are society wide. You can't have the good that um, the you you can't have the ultimate good that Christ is hunting for yourself without the conversion of all of your neighbors, right? It's a, it's a completely different view of the effects uh, that that the God wants the gospel to have on us, because it's such an outward blessing move, right? The holiness doesn't stay put. The holiness doesn't, if holiness works into you, it have, um, it's because it's going to work out of you and affect your whole society. That is just assumed. That is the, that's the base level of good. Uh, is that, you, uh, we, you know, what's good like, look like? Your whole village dancing at, a, at a, uh, um, your, your whole village in a parade together. Your, your your whole village doing something together um joyfully actively right? it, it's and and this is what i mean that we don't have we literally don't have a category anymore for some of the things that were assumed by the late medievals when it came to just what does it mean when i say things are right in the world is he doing the same thing with evil too so he evil, is, yeah, because yeah. so evil forces everybody apart, right? Evil forces everybody to themselves. Evil, evil forces everybody into their own room, into their own yard, into their own spot where they're alone and not moving, not dancing, not singing. Wait, so uh, not evil together. social media? <laughs> I, th- I think the picture of you know, um, every you know, like driving, you know, if you. Um, well, in one of the scripts that I was just writing, I, I was, I tried to find a way to just give an external picture of the, a a broken society. And so what I did was have the lights go out and everybody was on, or have the, the electricity in the, in the building went out, but everybody was on their phone. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, all you could see was this was the faces of everybody and they were all facing different directions, but with the lights on, it looked like they were together. As soon as the lights went off, you could tell that they weren't together, even though they were in in the same space. Um, And I think that's what uh, is happening to us. Um... I mean, think of what social media has done to dancing as an example, right? um, Dancing is something that you line up all face the same direction towards the camera to do, right? You don't face mm. each other to dance anymore, right? Um, dancing you used to be together separately. Yeah, exactly. You're all dancing together separately. That's a really good way to put it. Um, whereas it's, it's, the, it the point of, of dancing is to be together. Yeah. Like COVID was like together apart. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think... <laughs> it was interesting. I was I was rewatching some old. Um, it's not that old, but the uh, the um, Fraggle Rock 
stuff that came out during COVID when they were trying to help kids. Um, and I think this is this was what Fraggle Rock was doing is not a problem. Um, it was what the government was doing that forced Fraggle Rock to have to do this, um, where it was trying to show kids how to uh, how to be together on Zoom. Yeah. And it, it was actually, it's very sweet. I love Fraggle Rock. I think that's one of the best things the Jim Henson uh, company did. And it's one of the things they didn't sell to Disney. And so it's it's still um, consistently putting out good good stuff. The new a- Apple Plus on Fraggle Rock, I really like. Um, but they the, the creators of the Jim Henson company said, we got to help kids understand how to be together on Zoom. And so it did a whole short series of, of Muppets, um, like learning to use Zoom together. <laughs> and it's like very sweet, and it sh- but it, it shows them uh, singing on Zoom together, right? That's like, this is, we can still be together to do the important things like singing and, um, and which is exactly right, except it doesn't work. And I, and I don't think we knew that yet because it, Zoom was such a new, um, it was like such a new thing that we didn't realize like you, there's a lot that you actually can't do. Um, that way. Yeah. 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 I saw choirs trying to sing and stuff like that together as well. So then are, is he filling out the, so there is an internal reality to evil and to good. That's true, but he's not filling that part out. He seems to think that we've kind of understand, or at least have that there is, there is, a fuller side of the internal realities that manifest themselves externally that we seem to have lost. Yeah. Is well, that he, right? so, is that fair to say? Yeah. So he's, he goes through sort of, I, um, if I remember right, he goes, th- he goes through the 12 virtues of Aristotle and, sh- and, and characterizes them. Right. So each, each of the books is devoted to one of the virtues, but it's, but everybody knows, like for example, you shouldn't hate your neighbor. He's trying, um, and so, but but it's not enough to say you shouldn't hate your neighbor. What does it look like to have an imagination that resists hating your neighbor? Mm. Right, that an imagination that can see down the road to what do I become if I continue hating my neighbor? Right. You know, yeah, that's right. He was, I think, a little bit in this chapter. He talks about this as it relates to Shakespeare, how mm. Shakespeare was right. not telling you um, what it's like to kill. Who was it? He was like the, the um, oh, kill the the king, but what it was like to become Macbeth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right? exactly it. Yeah. There's right. a difference. So, there's a difference between hey, check your check your motivations you shouldn't be doing you shouldn't be you know wanting to destroy your you shouldn't want to just steal your brother's kingdom right hamlet for example um but there's a difference between that and hey you know where macbeth ends up right you know if you imitate macbeth how that how that story ends and his assumption is that's why we don't um we that we're that we're motivated by telling ourselves a different ending to where the road goes like we we get on this road that actually goes off of a cliff down to hell um at the end of it but we tell ourselves this road is going some other place and so he's trying to say no 
this road goes that way, that road goes this way, right? So you want this road because look at how the, the end of this road is the, the fulfillment of who you were created to be, right? So that's why we mm. uh, love one another, why we have peace, patience, kindness, right? Those things lead to a different sort of society. And so imagine the society that you want and then let me help you understand which roads get us to that society. And then the society that you don't want, which is a, an anti-society, a non-society, that road, these roads lead there, right? So he's trying to form our imagination towards the good, right? So that, the, so that we love the virtues that lead to the good. And it's funny, this is exactly what Australia did with Bluey, though, right? They started seeing the kind of imagination and say, okay, parents who are thinking this way create a society that functions this, this, excuse me, this particular way. Families who think this other way, we get a flourishing, beautiful society, so let's create the kind of content that produces flourishing. Now, I'm still a little Marxist, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only Marxist though because a bureaucratic government is doing it. Right. I'm going to say if like, it was a different, yeah. yeah. So, so if we were in a monarchy and the king paid an artist to do something to help his population understand the good, then we would say, well, that's good, right? The the king paying for art to be made isn't a bad thing. Um, the problem is we don't in a non monarchy in a bureaucratic society. <laughs> You're right. You're the assumptions are all messed up. Do you do you think that um, I particularly remember this um, during the time? Well, critical race theory is still kind of blowing up. It's falling down now. I think the worldview is starting to collapse, although I'm always. Um, it's only because it already won. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So you're starting to see its leaders collapse like Ibram X. Kendi, Black Lives Matter. Uh, you're starting to see the telegram or is it the telegraph? Everybody's asking, do we get duped in 2020 with George Floyd now? Right. Everybody's starting to ask that question, but everybody already buys into the, the presuppositions that created that for them to fall into. That hasn't changed at all. They just found out that they got duped with this one, but they still believe that that cosmology. Right. Right. And, and so but do you think that most – so I was bringing that up to say that most um, Christians still spend, at least as an apologetic world, uh, our – our, um, not theology, but our academic world, spend a lot of time in the internal observations of evil rather than the external realities of evil and good. So, you know, I remember – and I think Carl Truman's book was absolutely wonderful – but it seemed like it dealt way more psychologically with um, the worldview of critical theory, the worldview of kind of the, the the new mind. But it what, but it didn't reform a. At least I, I don't remember it reforming a cosmology. You know what I mean? No, no, yeah, I, he points out the problems. Yes, but I think he falls into the same thing we all do, which is it's sort of a reactionary. Right. We, we live in it because we don't have a solid, solid shared social, social in, 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 within the church vision for the good life. 
mm. we don't have anything to argue for and so we always argue against right we we mm -hmm. actually don't we don't really have anything to argue for it's really kind of sad as a as a church you might get some one thing here another thing there i think that this is why you have a growing um what you know the folks calling themselves the patriarchal movement um they're trying to argue for the good for a good right and i think that's why it is catching on and i um and I think it's actual. That's actually the strategy, right? Is you, you have to say the good we're arguing for is more beautiful. I think and people are, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and people are arguing that the patriarchal movement isn't isn't that they're trying to argue that it's a um, a return to something that they're not arguing for, right? Same um, thing with Christian nationalism, I think, too. At least the the uh, the most among the most I've been reading so much stuff around this, and I think amongst the most uh, well known leaders of the group, um, you know, they are they are arguing for the same thing. I think some sort of um, rediscovery of what good is as a nation, right? Right. Um, and and trying to trying to fight that battle. Here's what good looks like in a nation. Yeah. I think the difficulty is we've got to drop the Machiavellianism, but it's I, so, it's so embedded. Uh, yeah. I don't, that's, well, this is why I don't think we can leave as much as I'm not a Christian nationalist. I don't, this is why I don't think we can leave the, the, this particular movement. I think we have to be a part of it because somebody's going to have to fight with them about what's Machiavellianism. Right. Because I think that they could embrace that. Because it was, it's kind of just, yeah. I mean, when you go back and look at some of the, um, uh, some of the, uh, some of the the old school reformers, I think you can see some of that in there. Like you can see, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's the same thing they're doing. I mean, y'all got some good ideas, and I appreciate your your position. But that's not how we enforce. That's not how we do it, right? That's not that's not yeah. the way in which we implement yeah. our worldview. And right. so yeah. you have Machiavelli, who's informing some of the um, what do they call them, magisterial reform guys, I think, unintentionally. So yeah, and I mean, you ha so you know, um, one of the elders in Calvin's church, who was a lawyer, wrote a book against Machiavelli. In oh, you tell me about that. What was that, Calvin's? Called? Um, it's called Against Machiavelli, I'm pretty sure. And it was a series of lectures that he did saying, like, this is the real danger. Machiavelli is the real danger um, that we have to remember to resist. Uh, <laughs> and Ugh, I got to find that it, one. So it's so it's this is not a new problem. Right. The the right. The te the the promise of Machiavelli of Machiavelli um, we is. Uh, he pro you know he he's one of the guys that came along and said, "Hey, I can get you there. What is it that you want? I can get mm. you there, right?" So it, he it was, um, because he just said the kind of world that lives that we live in, no matter where we go, we get there by force. Um, and so 
I can help you get wherever it is you want to go. And that's the most dangerous kind of salesman, right? Is the one who comes in saying, here's your, I can identify what you want and promise to you what you want by my means. Um, and the that kind of salesman is the one who always gets you. How, how, you remember the pastor's name? No, something fun. I've got it. <laughs> I've I've got it written down. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Paul. Oh, no. I have to, yeah, against the grain. That's not it. Eh. First, I have to make sure I spell Machiavelli right, but yeah. <laughs> not another book I need to add to my library, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um. Against the Throne and Altar, Machiavelli and the Political Theory under the English. That's Paul A. Ryan. That's not it. No. Uh, um, well, Innocent. Was it Innocent? I think it was Innocent Gentilit. Spell that for me. I N N O C E N T G E N T I L L E T. Oh, okay. That's not... It'd be French, oh. though. So, gentile. I just got a man with his chest open and a shirt on. Okay, that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, I just thought about that. That's probably not something I should go Google and search. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, let's come back to that one. All right, can we spin? So, <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not let Google figure out if I meant something else. Uh, uh, let's can we talk about then? Yeah, I know. Yeah, don't write don't write the joke, just, Jason. Don't write the joke. Okay. <laughs> the joke's already there. It's already there. Don't write any further. Um, so can we spin? Because. In this chapter, by the way, if nobody has this book, you need to get this book. We've been going through it. We're going to finish it. And it's probably one of the most helpful books uh, to help restore your cosmology and to get ready to read, which we're going to do next, um, which is get ready to read uh, uh, Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen. But it's called C.S. Lewis, Spencer's Images of Life. So get the book. If you're wondering what we're talking about, we are at page 88. We've made it through 80, 88, 89. So here's what I want to do now. I want to spend as much time as we can working through images of good and how he, how Spencer does it and how C.S. Lewis is breaking down what Spencer is doing um, so that we can have, so we can grasp this. Because again, like I was saying, I was lost for like a page or two. And I've, I've understood though with Lewis, you just keep reading, just keep yeah. reading. It, it'll, it'll pay off. Just keep reading and don't worry about it. And then you'll come back and you'll read that part again with whole new light. 
Right. But this this is a part of your mind and your brain that you haven't worked before. <laughs> so you're going to have to work through this. Um, and it's poetic. It's one of those deep things. There's a lot of poetry in here that he's quoting. And you're like, oh, that sounds really good. I just wish I knew what it means. And then he gets <laughs> to it. Right. And so. Right. But this so is the so this is there's an older way of arguing we that we don't really use anymore where they put the footnotes at the beginning of the book. Okay. Right. And that's because they're say because they knew mm, do the work, you, huh? Yeah, yeah. You can't just come in and say, here's here's my conclusion. People will say, Well, you didn't prove it yet, right? So start at the beginning and walk me to your conclusion. And that was the expectation in academia is that you actually walked people to the conclusion. You, um, you didn't just state things. And so he's still, he's right at that transition. So one, you know, his earlier books, the first couple of chapters will be footnotes. And his later books, the, the everything's been shifted, right? So he lived through the transition. Um, and so it's a, uh, so he still builds an argument that way. Mm. So there's, here's a fact, here's a fact. Here's a fact. Now let me reason through those premises to a conclusion. It's uncomfortable. Ain't nobody for got us. time for that. Ain't nobody <laughs> got time for that. But State, that that yeah. that forms people that can think clearly. Right. That, right. Um, so. Well, yeah. No, so I guess the did you just change coffee mugs? Oh, I just had. I made two cups of coffee this morning right before because I hadn't had any, so I finished one. Now I'm on to my second cup of coffee. Huh. We're going to talk about that later. Is that an image of good, Jason? We'll figure it out in a second. So then. <laughs> it is after after this weekend. It was a long weekend. <laughs> um, so then. In, I mean, it seems like Lewis switched a little bit himself in how he presented his arguments because he, well, he had. Did, a, he, 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 he ended up a popularizer, I think is what you would put it. So he started out as an academic, but realized that to, to um, popularize some of the things that he was learning, he had to come up with other ways of communicating besides the traditional academic way. This is one of his academic works, but this is why he switched as he got older, he switched to writing fairy tales because um, in children's literature and, uh, be, and uh, fiction, because he said, I need to do the things that I've been studying, mm. right? As I get older, I, I need to baptize the imaginations of people rather than talking about people that baptized imaginations. So can you baptize our imagination in the image of good here? Because he kind of does, honestly, he kind of does that. I mean, it is an academic work, but he starts to, you know, right around page 92 or 93, he starts like just laying it on thick yeah the and, you you could hear the music rise in yeah, the backgrounds you yeah. sure could but before oh i want to ask a question on page 92 as i was reading kind of struggling he says spontaneous spontaneity spontaneity cannot be explicitly named like order yet it defines itself in the response of all that is subject to nature yeah so translate <laughs> So he he's talking about how um the that when the embrace of of the good brings a simplicity of within a person right um it where so 
you know what um you know when you you've, you've raised boys right you spend a mm. lot of time trying to grow the distance between having a thought and acting on it right like right that the distance between brain and fingers is really short when boys are little they're like i i as i have the thought i do the thing before i decide if this is a good idea or not right um and there's a you you want to to learn for them to say um hey i think i should do this is that a good idea yes it is i will or i, I think i should do this is that a good idea no i it's not i won't and so you try to grow that distance between thought and action um so that your boys grow up and become men that are wise so there um and that there's something really important about that but there's also a um a you want to grow the love of the good um th that shrinks the distance between knowing what's right and acting on what's right right and and that um so paul calls that an undivided mind right so that you um that you love what's right and so you immediately act on it as soon as you know what's right mm. um, so he calls that an undivided mind he also calls it simplicity he also calls it wholeheartedness right Th those are the words that paul uses for that um, the, a lack of distance between knowing what's right and doing what's right so as soon as you know what's right then you act on it right so this that's is a discipline the, though too that, right like it, it is right so you it's a discipline that grows but he said it's also what it looks like is spontaneity, right? In real life, it's it's the spontaneity. It's a, it's a where you act so quickly, mm. you act spontaneously, you act immediately, right? There's not a distance between. I got you. Knowing like what's athlete. right and doing. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's like muscle memory for the soul, right? I've always um, I've always called that stuff uh, in theater and acting and, and directing. I've always called it plan spontaneity. Right. Like right. you've done yeah. it so many times that and you know, it's going to happen. So when it does, you know exactly what to do. Right. That's exactly it. And so when he talks about mm. um, the the like uh, when when you see somebody that is completely into a dance. Right. And um, they know the steps so much that they're not thinking about the steps at all. Right? Like jazz, um, too. Yeah. Like jazz or, you know, uh, tap. You would see the old tap dance guys that they could do yeah. things that were crazy. Um, but it was, but it, they made it look so smooth. Um, that, uh, that, um, full heartedness, um, in what you do or, or wholeheartedness, um, simplicity of simplicity of desires. I don't, there's nothing else I want to do besides this thing right now, um, uh, is the, so that's what he's talking about. Whereas order, um, he, he's an order you can set out and describe and then act on. Right? Spontaneity isn't that sort of thing. Spontaneity is is this is a discipline of, um, a, is it, well, it's a kind of a discipline of the imagination, or or it's the the work that goes into to spontaneity is something that happens all a long time before there's anything there. So it's the sort of thing where it's you know the um the the guy that jumps out and grabs the kid in front of the car and you say man you how do what what were you thinking at the time he says you know i wasn't thinking 
I saw a kid that was in danger and just did it. Yeah. I just did it. Right. That's so um, that's what he's talking about is having that, that that's the goal um, is that I, we are spontaneously, uh, we spontaneously are jumping towards the good um, because of the, the, the discipline and the work and the, the order that, you know, and everything that went before that, when the time comes, we can jump wholeheartedly into the, the moment of good. So that undividedness is something that moderns have not experienced, right? We live mm. in the bal- balcony of our own lives and we watch ourselves live because there's a dividedness. There's two of us inside or many or more um, right where our, our mind and our, uh, th- this so this was Walker Percy's entire life project was to diagnose um, and treat the dividedness of the psyche of man, of modern man. Right? You, he he's, he said that the be, that a culture that loves the Lord and walks away from Him, um, it uh, cracks or shatters the psyche of the individuals within it. Oh, you ain't done down. <laughs> so I, th- this is why, like, there's no going back once you start reading a little bit of Walker Percy because once you once he points it out, um, I mean, it's you can't be put back into the matrix. Once you start, I you know. Uh, this is in my apologetics class that's coming up. The book, hey, when is of, that? Is that is that popped up yet? Has has it populated or how can 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 people just send you an email right now and say, hey, I want to be a part of the class. Let me know when it's ready so you can. How, how they, do you want to do that? Because I have so many people hitting me up like, hey, I'm ready to take this class. They can't. Uh, well, or should we just wait until the site is like a fully functional? I don't know if the site. I I. If it's not functional, I thought it would be functional by now, but let me look. Is it there yet? Um, Can you sign up? It's not quite there yet, but I, we're we're working on that the back end of it right now to to get it functioning. So it's all it, it's almost there. If it should, I mean, I it'll be there any moment, um, and then we can send it out to everybody. But the we're using Thomas Howard's book Christ the Tiger as one of our books, um, and it's a it, it's a, it's about this you know young modern whose selfhood um, is shattered by looking in on itself, right? Um, and that's what most modernist poetry that that age that uh, that World War One to nineteen fifty poetry that modernist poetry is all about the discover you know the experience of the shattered selfhood there's some really great poets during that time describing it really really well but they're describing a bad thing that's the difficulty <laughs> mm. right, so um and often they don't have a um they don't have an answer to it well that's what t.s Eliot found the answer to it and it was christ the tiger Right. Um, and it, it's a, um, a Lord that is owed and has earned and demands total allegiance. That's the only answer 
to the shattered selfhood of modernity. Right. So that, um, and that's what we, the church won't give. The church won't preach a Lord who is owed and has earned and demands total allegiance. How do you mean by that? What do you mean? Yeah. Um, so Jesus is a, he is owed complete allegiance because of who he is in his nature. He is God, right? The, um, it's not just an economic difference. Um, you know, the way uh, somebody who's been voted in as mayor, you know, we, we honor them because they are in an office that we have, that we have helped populate, right? We didn't help populate the office of God, right? Jesus is fully, completely God. He is also fully and completely man who has died for the human race, um, who has died for the sins of Adam um, and was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit to prove his kingship. It's, a, you know, in the beginning of Romans, right? The the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit is all the evidence that we need that not only is he owed it in his person, in his selfhood as God, he has earned it as the rightful heir of Adam, the rightful heir of Noah, the rightful heir of Abraham, the rightful heir of David, the rightful heir of, of the, the empires of the earth, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's, he has earned, he has it in his personhood. He's earned it in his personhood. He has it in his personhood as God. He's earned it in his personhood as man. And he demands it from the right hand of God, right? He, he expects the total allegiance that is healing news to the selfhood of modern man, which is so divided, right? That we, that we, we're never going to rational rationalize our way to a healed selfhood, but we mm. can obey our way there, right? We can submit our way there. We can honor our way there. We, we can give glory uh, to a, a, a restored selfhood because of the beauty of Jesus, right? Because of the goodness of Jesus, because he is the, the way, the truth, the life, right? So the, the only way out of the shattered selfhood is, um, is to submit ourselves fully and completely to Jesus, right? Um, the, uh, because that's how we come to ourselves as well. Right. So this is uh, that's how Luke puts it when the uh, the younger brother has he's off feeding the pigs and it says he he comes to himself. And realizes, I what am I do? What have I done? <laughs> why, why, why am I out here feeding the pigs? And he comes, it says he comes to himself or right? it, it that um, we need we need that. But the only way to for our selfhood to come back to our selfhood right for the restoration of the divided selfhood within us to to the only way is the full complete allegiance to Jesus and that's going to restore us but the church won't preach it right the church is trying to do something it's almost anything else 
the church is willing to do except for just declare that the 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 love of Jesus demands your allegiance. <laughs> well, God, and God God loves you. Give full give him full allegiance. You can trust him with your full allegiance. We don't give full allegiance to anything, right? Mm. We are we are ironic, right? Within ourselves, there are multiple perspectives. We are a walking irony in our experience existentially. If if that makes sense. And you can keep keep going. I'm trying to work the, through it. <laughs> right? The, because we are not we're always both looking out and looking at ourselves. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, we're we're spiritually cross-eyed. Um, mm. We have uh and what has you know the in the ancient world the the picture that they gave of the the problem the uh, of the thing that empire did to the psyche of man was um a giant with a single eye right so you um you, the the that's what empire produces within uh w- within the ex- psychological experience of of the individuals right so um you know the the uh, you know a giant with one eye is what uh, odysseus um he gets trapped on the island with this giant that just has a single eye uh, um and he lives in a cave by himself and he has no society he has no community and so he has no um no depth perception right so mm. he has no any and that that image was taken and was used um, over and over for ha- for having no spiritual depth perception, no f- psych- philosophical depth perception, right? Um, and, and that because there's no community, there's you, you don't have other, uh, you need other people, you need society, you need community to have spiritual depth perception. Yeah, I was, uh, Peter Lightheart was talking about the creation of Eve, and that's one of the things that was important was that in order for Adam to, mi- to image God properly, he had to have an us, right? Yeah. And Eve created the us because he was able to see himself through her. And so like babies, you know, they don't know, you know, you show them their arm and they're like, what is that? You know, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no concept of what anything is apart from somebody else revealing that to you in some way. So community helps you even see you. In, right, in exactly. Sense. Yeah, yeah. You can't see your when we we literally can't see ourselves, right? We can't see our face without somebody looking at it, and we don't even know who we are unless we see ourselves in the eyes of somebody else. That that's how we were. That's we were created that way. This is why when a marriage goes wrong, it, it's so messed up. People get so, self destructive. So, yeah. Self destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is because you're looking at yourself in a clown mirror. Right, so this person is looking back at you with hatred, and but it's the mirror that you were designed to learn to see yourself in, um, and so when that goes wrong, that it goes so wrong. Well, the um, but we're on the other side of having come together in Christian community with the rivalry going away, everything, and then it coming back without the gods. Right, so even the mirror of the heavens that they, the ancients had to look into um, to look back down and see themselves, that is gone, right? You've, so the, so, and 
so we spend all of our time trying to look at ourselves directly right? and it makes us spiritually cross-eyed right so it's the opposite problem that the that the tribes and the empire had when they looked at one another um we ha we have the opposite problem spiritual cross-eyedness um which means that uh we need somebody to really come in and take us by the hand <laughs> and walk us across the bridge right because we're going to fall off every time um but the church and and that so i think that's why that when a church preaches strong um it grows right when a church preaches the uh the lordship of christ it grows right because the lordship of christ is um is the the offer of a hand to walk across the bridge is good news to a blind person, to a cross-eyed person, to somebody that can't see. Hey, Jason, how is it that, um, man, there's so many, there's, there's a couple of things I was thinking about here, but how is it that churches will preach half of that and, and not the total of that? So they, they, they will preach a form of the Lordship of Christ as it relates to your own personal sanctification, but somehow, you know how you said earlier that holiness doesn't stay put? Yeah. Well, if your home and those things in your, in your immediate family are things that are being sanctified, how is it that they don't teach that that actually works its way out into society too? Or they're afraid well, of it, you know? Yeah. What's nice is we've, we just saw with MacArthur that it doesn't matter if they, if they preach it or not, it works, right? Yeah. Like that's, well, it takes, <laughs> it takes, it takes judgment in order for it to yeah. kick in. True. Right. But, right. But it, so, uh, but I think it's because of that image of the good that we have that is individual, that's individual, right? That the good is something, this is the Gnosticism. The good is something that happens inside our head, inside our heart. It, you know, inside of us, it's not something that is, um, that, that requires society or the, the, it, it doesn't require society for me to be joyful before the Lord, but my joy before the Lord is incomplete until the, the whole society is converted. Right. So, um, the, you know, and I, I think this is a, it's a different view that says um well i i need i want everybody in town a part of the choir everybody a town i i want everybody in town as a dance partner right i, I don't you know that um because we of the machiavellianism we think that the conversion of everybody is a power game but it's it's not right the conversion of society is that they're missing out on the dance Right? Mm. there's holes in the there's holes in the picnic um you know, the, there's tables that are that still haven't been filled right it's a different view um like you're we, still right because what, what laws we end up with or don't end up with is tertiary at best right the um the it's because the real question is pe people the the healing that people receive in submission to christ is it uh it'll lead to different laws and that'll be great right i'm i look forward to those different laws um but the the you know it, 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 i see this a lot with the way that we um 
our rhetoric surrounding being what it means to be pro-life, you know, um, that, uh, right. When, when we're not like being pro baby, right. Is, is something that everybody should be able to get on board with. Right. But we, what we argue for, we, we spend our time arguing about, um, Oh, man, just about any, anything else, right? But what's the best argument for pro-life? Holding up all of the babies and then telling their stories. This this baby wasn't going to make it, right? This baby was going to be aborted. Can you imagine that? The world is better with this baby in it, right? Right. And the um that 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 is a uh you know that is an argument from the beauty of the the beauty of children the beauty of the image of god the beauty of life um that that we need to be making everywhere uh, i mean the the number of times that you know you uh i've gone to a you know a, a pro life event or pro life anything and and you get up and you start talking uh like lawyers Right. Rather than getting together and celebrating the lives of the children that have been saved by the ministry, um, you just think, wait, we're missing out on the the motivation. I mean, the, the reason I'm here is so that people will get saved. Right. But um, and I, you know, I want righteous laws. I want good laws that that protect and save people, and that that's really good. But it's because I want the people to get saved, not because the laws in and of themselves getting saved is a good thing, right? The the purpose of the law is to protect life, right? And, and we don't actually have that vision for the beauty of life um, that would make it unthinkable, unthinkable to kill a child. You know, this funny, I, I remember, and, and this is going back when you were talking about just a moment ago, as far as conversion, um, we think that it's a power move. When I try something or I taste something that is actually good and amazing and I love it, um, I feel bad if somebody else misses out on this experience. Exactly, yeah. Right? To the point that I chase these folks down and say, you have to go eat here. You have to try this. Ooh, this is amazing. You're going to love it. Because I'm seeking the good for that person. And so I, I spend my time then making sure that they have this experience. If they come to Moscow, these are the places you got to have this. This is yeah. going to be amazing for you, right? And 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 I believe, and I know that in the tasting of this, something will transform for them. And because I know that it's so good that they 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 can't re- they're not designed to resist this type of goodness, right? right? Matter of fact, they're designed to embrace this type of goodness. And and so I wonder sometimes, you know, this is. Our best arguments are always beauty, um, but you know we—if we haven't really come to understand or been practicing that spontaneous reaction of good, right? Yeah. <laughs> then, then we ourselves are not presenting the thing. We, like you said, we're, we're creating the order. We're ordering it out, right? The order. It's not that we don't have it. We're just creating the order and the list, and this, and instead of like, there's a spontaneous reaction to good. Right. There's a spontaneous reaction to joy that is it's and it's just a happy you just do it. Right. And it's just yeah. um 
it becomes just a part of your lifestyle, you know, and it's, yeah. it's that yeah, argument uh, that, that, um, that we don't know how to practice anymore because of, in one sense or another, that we, we are sharing so much of a cosmology of the secular idea of the secular world. So then we feel like, and, and you said this earlier, we feel like there is a psychological or philosophical, philosophical convi- convincing that we have to do as if the problem is all there when really um, the problem is not in them um, philosophizing their way to the cross, right? Or philosophizing their way there. It's actually in taste and see your way there, right? Believe your right. way there. That's the only way you get there. You have to believe this. And the way you believe is like, I've tasted. I, I used to hear old folks talk like this. Oh, honey, baby. Now these people weren't the best apologists. They didn't know no, um, all this lovely theology that we know. They're like, baby, let me tell you something. I done tasted them, right? I, right. I, I know I done been at this table. It's good. And you ain't going to ever convince me with no other argument. I don't care what they find, what they find and dig up in the earth. Ain't nobody ever going to be able to convince me about nothing else but about the goodness of Jesus. And and that's the and that's kind of, I don't even hear people talk like that anymore. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's just like gone. And And I think it, um, I think it's a, you know, there's, we, people, when people are like, oh, we, you know, we need our church to grow and they say, well, maybe we should expand our, I've heard people actually say things like this. Well, maybe we need to expand our parking lot. Maybe the parking's not good enough. Maybe the, um, you know, the, yeah. is the, I mean, we need a paint job on the church, you know, whatever. And, you, and your church might need a paint job. That's, um, maybe your parking isn't good. That's that, but churches grow when people love being there and can't help but tell everybody, hey, you should come. It's great. You're going to like it, right? <laughs> you should come to my church. You're going to like it. I love it, right? You don't, um, if if you guilt people into inviting their friends, then you'll have to guilt people to get them to stay, right? Uh, and uh, you know, I I just think that there is a, a there's a beauty and a glory uh, to Jesus that we don't preach. We and I think we don't actually believe that the foundation of this whole universe is the overflowing love of the triune God. Uh, like we, be, because we don't believe that we're always trying to come up with something else besides preaching Jesus. Right. We're besides telling people, introducing them to God. Right. If, if we actually believed that this world, everything about it was the product of the overflowing love of God who and the 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 who is gracious and merciful and and uh, the we would we would just invite people to meet him, <laughs> right? This and I, I mean, it's and it is it's a cosmology issue. I mean, we we have bought into the um, that this world is a dark and empty and and quiet place. Uh, you know, quiet like a tomb, dead, um, and that that uh, you know the the good news is, hey, we're I can I can get you out of here, right? I can get you out of here in your mind now, and eventually all the way out. 
Um, but the that you know the the work you know when when you realize that the world is a symphonic dance that's going on all around us all the time, um, and that all we've got to do is learn the steps uh, to join in. Um, you, that the you, it's a different it's a different evangelism is a different thing. You know, this is I was just listening to James Jordan. I need I, I'll say this until the cows come home. Everybody needs to go listen against Gnosticism. Um, from James Jordan. I think that's what it's called. I think the Theopolis app has it available there. Um, let me make sure I got the title right. Uh, uh, yeah, Against Gnosticism, Taking Time and History Seriously from James Jordan. Gotta go listen to that. God, and one of the things he says, and he's talking about, and this is what made, you triggered it for me, what he says, we preach the gospel like we're trying to get people to come into the kingdom. Right? <laughs> We preach like come into the kingdom, leave the world. You're like you're, it's over. You're like it, we can. It's like this boat. It's like no, 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 no. The kingdom has come to you, <laughs> and now you can lay down your idols and your weapons and everything else, and because you don't need them anymore, Christ's kingdom is ruling and reigning, and now you get to live as subjects underneath His leadership, underneath His rule. Repent and believe the gospels. Lay down your idols. Lay down your weapons. Lay down all of the things and live. Because this is how the world really is. Those idols don't work. Right. They, they, they don't work here anymore. Those gods are dead now. And that's one of the things that people. I think when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the gospel. Even people who are not dispensationalists, like we're getting out of here this joint because this thing is gonna blow. And it's like God is restoring this place and the 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 whole thing is now being ruled and reigned by him so hey come and hear the good news you have a good king you have a good lord and this is why i think what you were saying earlier about um you know uh you know we we don't preach that so much we preach a form our, even our gospel is a form of escapism so it's like no, but the reason why the gospel works is because Christ really is ruling and reigning. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And so we are commissioned by the one who has all authority to go proclaim his message of of, of rule. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's what's so confused. Like, that's really basic Christian stuff, though. I remember N.T. Wright, so it was in a Q&A. Somebody said, so, you know, um, why why – he said something about so they said why did why is it that when you you know talk about the resurrection you are always you know trying to do this or that and, and he said uh actually what you don't understand is when i when i stand up and preach about the resurrection people are changed mm. <laughs> he, he said people don't walk away the same person they were when they walked in after they hear me preach about the resurrection he said, and that's because Jesus was raised from the dead. Right. <laughs> was, was, it was just, it was like very, very simple where he's like, you've been doing, I've been doing this long enough to know you stand up, you say, hey, Jesus was raised from the dead and a different person walks out of the room than walked into the room, right? Right. That, that the message has a transformative power. And he, and he's just said, that is only explainable by the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. There's nothing else that can explain the transformations I've seen in people's lives. And that's, that's, 
an argument we don't see. I, I love this this section. And um, but that's an experiential argument that you only get if you're preaching the gospel. Right? That's right. Like, that's right. Uh, so this is on page 95 when when C.S. Lewis sums it up. He says, in some then, evil is solemn, good is gay. Got it. Highlight it. Got it. Evil, highlight it. <laughs> evil means starvation. Good glows. Evil imprisons. Good yeah. sets free. Evil is tired. Good is so full of vigor, is full of vigor. The one says, let go, lie down, sleep, die. The other, all aboard, kill the dragon, marry the girl, blow the pipes, beat the drums, let the dance begin. <laughs> this is what, this is, you're like, that, it took 92 pages of argument to be able to yeah. summarize <laughs> that clearly. The, right. Uh, right. Because because he's arguing for something so different, right? Than what we assume, right? That um, and and I, you know, I, I just, that this is the gold that you think, you know, I I dug through ninety pages of silt to get this small chunk of gold, but it's so valuable that it was worth all the digging, right? And um, but but it's an imagination conversion it's a, the conversion of our imagination to the right view of the good life that gives the strength and the power um, and the the hope you know the the I, the I mean this is what it is when paul says you know when paul talks about um hope right we like we don't give content we we talk about hope but we never fill the word hope up with the content that uh, like this. Oh, you were done there. I was still expecting you were going to explain <laughs> some more of the hope content. No, this well, is because yeah, yeah, the next paragraph he says what Spencer has done is to make an image of the whole of life. Yeah, a, a hymn to the universe that he and his contemporaries believed themselves to inhabit. I have that underlined. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so funny. <laughs> For the universe as they conceived it is a great dance or ceremony or society. Our virtue and happiness here now lie in participating in this ceremony as much as we can. Um, Joy and revelry are at the core of it. Uh, this, 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 this is the stuff that you walk away saying, oh, this is what I'm missing. When I you know, go out to my job as a plumber, when I go out to my job as a, uh, an electrician, as a teacher, as a, uh, as a pastor, you know, whatever my job is, but if joy and revelry aren't at the core of it, right, then you're actually missing the point, right? You've, you've, the, um, the, the, uh, you know, we had a, a plumber come in recently to, and he had to pull our whole toilet apart and, um, and I watched him do it. And then I was like, I can do it next time. So the next time we needed it, I tried to do it. And we ended up with leaks multiple times before I finally got there. And, um, and I was you know, frustrated and complaining and swearing under my breath and all the things. And, um, and it's cause I was missing the point, right? The, the joy and revelry of, uh, of the, of toilet installation, um, Part of that is that it's going to leak 
when you don't know what you're doing, right? Part of that is the process mm. of learning and, you know, and, and I, I know that in theory, but in, in the, in the moment, <laughs> it's like, really, I just want the toilet to work. Right? I just want I the got time to for this joy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and so you read this and I, the, you know, the conviction comes to me in those places where it's like, why was I complaining so much? And, you know, I'm, um, this, you know, the, it, the, of course I had to go back to the, you know, go back to Ace Hardware three times. Like that's the that's part of the revelry of of the fix. And but it's really hard for me to remember in the moment, especially when I'm trying to do something with my hands because I'm so uncoordinated. Well, that's part of the practice, right? That we were talking about earlier. So that spontaneous reaction is, ooh, God's gonna give me some joy, right? Like right. that's part <laughs> yeah. of you know, that's yeah. what we were talking about earlier. You know, the, old, fr- old friend named Arnie that drove this car that would break down. <laughs> I was like, Arnie, we gotta fix your car. He's like, what? What's the adventure in that? <laughs> this yeah, car would break down on the side of the road to be like, all right, Jesus, who you got for me? <laughs> yeah, I, I, ain't, I ain't sanctified like that yet. <laughs> Not me neither. Arnie is who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah, well, kind of. Uh, <laughs> I want to have a car that works. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. I've Just, been through that. No, I know. Uh, I I mean, I, I've, the, I've been through that, and I still go through that, right? Um, yeah. But it's the, it's the attitude that says – no, Ooh, you're right. What do you, what do you got for me here, Lord? You know, you can have a car that works and still say, "What have you got for me here?" You know, I've learned that when it comes to filmmaking, I, I've learned that from from watching people. Though I watched Darren Doan, you know, we'll plan something, hundreds of thousands of dollars will go in something, and and we'll plan it, and it'll fall apart right in the middle, and he keeps going like this was the this was the thing I was looking for. I was waiting for this particular event to happen so that I can get this shot, right? Like we, I wouldn't have used this set if this didn't all fall apart. So, wow, this is what an amazing moment. We can't pay for this, you know? And, and I, and I watched him and it was all always in all the videos that we did. It was like, this thing came together when it fell apart. Almost every time it came together when it fell apart. And when it fell apart, he was a joyous guy. Like, woo, look at what God gave us. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Awesome stuff. I'm glad somebody's planning this thing. Cause I'm a producer. I'm freaking out, you know, right. like, Hey man, get the thing and do that. What's wrong with y'all? They, they, hey, Darren, they said they can't do this. It's like, all right, well, cool. Well, we party out here. And it was amazing. It was like, that's where the party was, was where the breakdown was. And the, and the guys would come who to be working. we like, man, how did you plan this? Like this was amazing. We would have never done it like this, you know. So was it? It was. That's like when we were filming the PKs and we lost the oh. set on the roof last minute, and had to film by the window. And the train oh, came by yeah. as we were filming. You're like, what? Yeah, it looks like we paid a hundred thousand dollars for to make it to make a right, train. Cue the train. Cue the train. Have the train come in. you just walk that, with that, it. Yeah, that turned out to be, I think, one of the best scenes that we shot, and it was it we. It was because we lost the set that we yeah, ended up getting we lost, that shot. Lost the set, lost our lighting guys. We, <laughs> yeah, everything fell apart. <laughs> everything fell apart, and we ended up with we had to go find light, and and uh, yeah, Andy found that the light coming through that window, right through that window. There's um in in this part that you you read earlier, it says for the universe as they conceived it is a great dance or ceremony or society. I don't want to skip past that part because one of the things that I think we do, and I'm learning not to do, I'm trying to do this more, and you kind of really helped me with this, which is 
uh, part of our cosmological understanding comes from general revelation. And when we look at the universe, like you said earlier, as being someplace that's like dead or quiet or not much going on, then we don't observe it in the way that we should see it. And then it doesn't inform us the way that it should, right? Because we think of it as something that shouldn't be observed and studied and thought through. And so if you think the universe is just there and and it doesn't have this joyous society and this party that's going on and it can't help but praise God and what it does then you don't you you don't find yourself in the middle of that dance you you feel like you got to start the dance you got to get the thing going and it's like no 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 you are already in a cosmic dance like you're already involved in this and everything around you in the universe is already participating societally in this and so like um it's almost like they're clapping and looking at you to say jump on beat let's go (laughs) you know like that's what the universe is doing and when you understand the universe like that and you understand that god has already made things like that it's easy because the beat is already pumping it's already that the dance is happening and you could just jump it's like double dutch just get on in there and you'll you know it's but it's it, it is going it is doing something um you know, that's why it, it wouldn't be hard to have the rocks cry out. They already doing what they supposed to do. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. but we, we don't, we don't think of that. We don't even give much time since I moved out to Genesee. Um, there's no city lights really out there. So I get to look up and I get to see the stars. I get oh. to see, you know, planets and it's just amazing to look at. Um, and then to realize, you know, these are all happening is the way that God has designed them from the beginning. Right. And it's like, wow, let me, let me, let me hit my note. Let me hit my, the symphony is taking place and you can see the symphony, a visible symphony happening, a visible symphony right in front of you. And so it encourages you to join in. But if you, but that's once you understand the reality of, of the, of the universe, the reality, the, the basics of it, what God, I mean, this is, we forget, you know, the, this is why I guess when we were talking about um, planets and being beings and operating that way, and C.S. Lewis talks about that in his book, like it's like, whoa, what, we 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 hold to that, you know? Well, yeah, because it tells you how the world is made. It tells you how the universe functions, right. and what's going on, and so then it gives it it becomes more of a less random and far more ordered. Yeah, and the the order is there. It's our um, it's uh, it, the it seems random only because we're not paying attention, right? Because our attention um, is on the the you know, the the spont- spontaneity right in front of us, um, and and when you step back and see the see the spontaneity of creation in the broader context and you can see how well ordered the whole thing is um you know the, and i think that it's it's a it, it's some of it is i think a fifth commandment issue right mm. when because the order is long form order multi-generational order um you know that so like for example, you know, I remember Haley's comet coming. I was in sixth, sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. I remember going out and seeing it with uh, in the the back 
the back field of our elementary school and um, you know, big group of people going out and seeing Haley's comet and waiting for it to come by and having a telescope set up and and um and so we go out and we see it, right? Well, and then it comes back a generation later. Um, but the reason that we know uh about the long form Haley's, you know, the long because Haley's comet doesn't come every year is because of the communication from generation to generation. It came here, it came here, it came here. Here's the pattern. Right. Um, we don't have when you lose the the um, when when the previous generation loses your ear, the long form mm. patterns all disappear. Right. And some of it is previous generations that refused to to keep talking, and some of it was previous generations that refused to keep listening. Listen. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not as if it's only was ever the the younger generation's fault because there was also generations that didn't keep but it. But still, fifth commandment stuff, right? But it's all fifth commandment stuff, right? Is the, the... explain that explain how that's a fifth commandment thing? Because so, people think hear that and think, oh, what do you mean? It's honor your father and mother, right? That's right. Yeah. So the the fifth commandment, the way that the that both the the prophets and the New Testament and the the um, theologians throughout history, throughout church history, have treated the fifth commandment is that embedded in it is the honor of the authorities uh, both above you and before you, right? So um, parents um, have an authority covenantally because they're above you, but then they also have a uh, an authority, a wisdom authority because they're before you, right? So the, and, and the the honoring of your father and your mother is to receive both the wisdom that, um, from uh, covenantally above the, the wisdom of that comes with submission. And then the wisdom that comes uh, from before that comes from listening, right? That you honor by hearing um, and, and hearing the stories and knowing the stories and having it passed down, but that embedded within that is the, um, the wisdom so you've got the command to honor father and mother, but it teaches us the wisdom that honoring authorities, rightful authorities, makes us wise, and honoring those that have come before makes us wise. So honoring up and honoring back in time, um, that that there's embedded within that command the wisdom to be learned that comes from. So so we can, you know, tech you can technically listen to what your parents said because they uh, are an authority um, and do what they said because they have the power at the moment, but that's still not do, obeying the fifth commandment. If you're not also honoring the wisdom that they have that came because they came before. Right. So the, th um, so the fifth commandment is you, you've got the strict obedience of it, but then the wisdom um, that it also teaches. So you can disobey or you can ignore the fifth commandment by refusing to learn the wisdom uh, of it as well. So and also inherent in there that your parents are um, representative of generations before them in so many ways. So that when yes. they're speaking, you're basically in one sense or another hearing Moses, Abraham, Isaac, right? The, the, that's the line. That's yeah, why you're, yeah. you're yeah you're listening to the whole line of people that have come before. So that's right. Um, to and and this you know it can get complex if you've got 
you know, rivalries say between your parents and your grandparents, if they didn't get along or whatever, it makes it hard to figure out. Um, but that's just the wrestling that, that makes us stronger and wiser um, as, as we work through all that. But um, your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, um, as the world, if the world is working properly, then they're each passing down what they've learned to the next generation and the, the wisdom of the generations grows. And so, the, um, because you could also not, you know, it would also be a, uh, ignoring of the fifth commandment to not tell your parent that what you've learned from your parents and your grandparents to your own children. Right. You know, right. Um, right. You know, the, um, you know, the, uh, in, in Proverbs 31, um, it the the uh the proverbs 31 woman says to uh call, calls uh his her son the son of my son of my womb child of my womb son of my womb and, and so my wife will call her boys that all right whenever she's got wisdom to pass on all right come over here son of my, son womb. Of my womb yeah i got here yeah. i got something to teach you right that, um that just the fact that you came out of me gives me the authority to right now tell you how the world works. Right. Right. Um, right. You know, so the, um, and that, that that's a, an important thing. I mean, that's the, the authority of a mom um, is hugely important in the, the lives of children, especially sons. Um, they, they, that voice should be, you know, a, a you know, the, the, one of the biggest voices in their lives. Like this is the, this is the, the wisdom of the ages. Um, the the coming down to me so the refusal to take up that authority as a fifth commandment i think is as much a fifth commandment issue that we run into in our day all right was there anything else you wanted to get through on this this is so good i know we we skipped 93 where he talks about the among the months the emphasis is more striking oh, yeah. we didn't talk about that but that might be something for i did love the fact that you hit page 95 middle of the page uh, I think you could have hit almost all of page 94, but you know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's the hard part. So I, that, the section among the months um, you know, on page 93 is really, really, I, it is actually super important, It's, but it's really hard for us to wrap our mind around this thing that he's talking about. Without um, actually. Yeah. So he says um, the uh, he, he's talking about just the 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 embeddedness of the goodness of life in the cycles of the seasons or the cycles of the year the the the, the calendar or the the cycles that God Im, um, impressed into the world um, are something that we you know, we've kind of forgotten because I think you know was, you know I was just talking to somebody about. Uh, the the way the population in Las Vegas is growing right now, he's like that doesn't even make any sense. Las Vegas is the worst place in the world to live, just in terms of weather. As I was like, oh yeah, except for I guess air conditioning has defeated the weather. <laughs> so you can live in Vegas, and even though it's 109 degrees for like four months out of the year, uh, you can live there because air conditioning. Um, you know, electricity we've used we figured out how to make electricity defeat the the weather of vegas which is a good thing but it does have a separating effect from some of 
we have to purposefully then um, lean into some of the wisdom of creation because we have taken dominion over it in certain aspects. But here he talks about it's lusty spring with its thousands of singing birds and jolly summer um, and even autumn joyed in the plenteous, plenteous store among the months. The emphasis is even more striking. Striking. April is wanton as a kid. June is jolly, and October is full of merry glee, uh, tipsy with wine that made him so frolic and so full of lust. And lust is a good is a good thing in this context, right? It's a full, um, it, it, it's a full focused desire. So, um, uh, wanton lust is when we want the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Right? wanton means like wandering you know so um w- the um, and so because of the nature of the current setting we can't think of lust as a good thing a full desire an undivided desire is not something that we ever experience um right so we we there's nothing that we have a full des- undivided desire for anymore um and here that it's talking about how each month gives a different thing that we can give our full desire to in a good way. Um, and so yeah, October is full of merry glee tipsy with the wine that made him so frolic and so full of lust is succeeded by a November who took no small delight in planting and a December who made merry feasting gladdened by the memory of his savior's birth. Um, and then as for may Lord, how all creatures laughed with her, uh, when when her they spied and leapt and danced as they had ravished been, right? So you think of the just the joys, and it's all uh, they're all images of love, all images of a fruitful love, um, the the kind of love that a, a husband and a wife have for one another. Right? That that's the image between um, the the image of the seasons that the that because creation is constantly defeating resurrection in its cycles or defeating death in its cycles of resurrection, right? So embedded into the world is love overcoming death, right? Embedded into the seasons is love overcoming death. Death keeps trying to sneak in, but love defeats it every, every year, each month, even in a different way, love defeats death. It's just invisible to us. And so, this, this is where, you know, I, I know when we talked about Chaucer, we talked about this some as well. Uh, but this is this is so important for parenting, right? because we we gotta we this one of our main jobs is to teach kids how to how to deal with the desires that come upon them, um, how how to how and not instead of tamping them down, how to direct them, right? Because the desires come upon, you know, desires for love come upon teenagers like a grenade, um, like a, and they explode in every direction and they don't know what to do with it. And we say, well, no, 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 let's take the desires, let's aim them well, let's get them into the, let's get them into the, in into the gun, and turn them into a sniper with those desires. Let's focus those desires because when we focus the desires onto the the, the prom, proper thing. So they're no longer wanton desires, wandering desires, but they're focused desires. It turns out that Jesus is right behind every one of those things, right? So when you aim 
your desires for the thing that they're desire that you're supposed to, that God is hiding himself right there. And so you discover God is the ultimate fulfillment of every one of those desires because he's hidden himself behind the thing he's told you to aim that desire at. Right. So you, you, uh, you want to uh, go out and earn money and get respect. And, and if you do it the right way through being honest and, serving people right you that you discover that uh you know that god is right behind all of that because he is the the great provider right and so you discover by the means of providing for other people with that desire for money and respect and you know all of that when you focus that on providing for other people working hard with my hands so i can be generous right you you find that god is hiding in the generosity god in you you meet God in a new way and opportunities to be generous that you wouldn't have been able to, if you hadn't worked so hard and focused that desire or focused that, um, you know, the, the full throated desire that you used to be able to call lust that you can't anymore. Um, so I think there's this really, really, I, I mean, it's the, it's the same reason we don't build cathedrals anymore, right? We, we don't have a cosmology that can support the ju and justify the building of a cathedral. And so we move into strip mall. We move the church into strip malls because we think that the church is just that, that our main competitor is, you know, the gap, um, you know, that, that, that we, we can't tell the difference between evangelism and advertising anymore, you know, um, because of our cosmology. Or we just think that the church just doesn't have much of a importance here on earth. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. other side of that really starting to bother me is people have, there's no significant thing that the church is on earth. Right. But this goes back to the rule and reign of Christ. Like that is a horrible thought. Like the church is not gathering to escape. It's planting to, because it's taken over. Right. Like, like yeah, you know, that's, that's the the narrative that's being missed well, in this, and, and I mean, as we talk too, I, I think it's a fifth commandment issue as well, in the sense that we don't build things that we can pass on. We don't. Well, we don't like them. what our parents gave us. We don't like what our gener historically. We don't like what they've given us. Yeah. I, I look at America. Look at America. Look how we're treating it. Like we don't like what what they've given us, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but we but we need. You know that, yeah. I think that the. I mean, there's so many things that are you could say are the heart of the issue, but a big one is the rivalry between the generations. We've accepted that as if it's normal, expected. It's the thing. It's the thing that happens, um, but we're commanded to to not allow it. You know. Um... As you were saying that, I was just thinking about Paul Johnson. You you started breaking this down for me, I think, almost two years ago now when we started talking about Gnosticism. Well, probably longer, but we started recording them two years ago. We started talking about Gnosticism and the effect it's had on our society and metaphysics and the breakdown of that. And Gnosticism and metaphysics was where you started really, like, planting the flag at. And during that time, one of the things that came up in the conversation was the post-World War I-II consensus um, 
and how it really fractured our cosmological understanding of the world. Uh, and there were things that were going on before, but that's when we actually made the trade, maybe in, in our society. Yeah. We really made the full trade on. And a lot of people that have moved over to kind of the, the, the hardcore Christian nationalist groups have come to understand that reality, um, but maybe not in, in total, but at least in part, and understand that being a huge moment that we had this uh, post-World War II consensus, populism, multiculturalism, and all that stuff just flushed our system, like just went right rapid through it. And so there's this, there is a sort of, like you say, fifth commandment violation here, an anger with our forefathers that they would allow, because we're waking up to, I remember, man, it took me a second. I remember coming out of the charismatic church. When I came out, there was a point of me that was angry because they, they, they didn't teach us and feed us and give us the words that we needed to be able to, to manage our families and all this stuff like that, all our doctrine. And I remember it took me a while before I was able to be mature enough to say what they gave me was the reason why I was able to leave right. the charismatic church, <laughs> right? right. And, and then God used every bit of that to bring me where I'm at now. And I was so unthankful that I was upset and angry at them instead of having a heart with the image of good. It was like, wow, look what God did with all that. God sanctified me. I, I learned to love his standards and love him. And then he just kept building on top of that more and more and more and more and more. And so I want everybody else to have that too now, right? But the, the, it seems like this next, this new group of people that are somewhat inside the CN group, and not all of them, but at least a large sector of them ha are angry that we have dropped the ball so much historically. And I think there's, and I think there's some valid arguments to be made that there was some balls dropped. Yeah. But not, oh, yeah, to, absolutely. but not, but not to be a Calvinist in the moment and see the opportunity that's available was foolish, right? That's, that's this form of immaturity to see that and to say, well, this is a story that God put us in and he did it in a particular way so he can receive the most amount of glory. So where do I jump in and start working? And we've talked about this so many times here on, on, on this particular podcast where one generation takes the boat as far as they can and they crash it. And then that generation says, okay, we're further than we were here. Okay. Then they take the boat, then they're going to crash. And the next generation, and eventually the way that that's a form of sanctification, right? Um, yeah. And whatever God is, and this is why you can't be Gnostic about this because whatever God is doing in history is bringing it all to a culmination of glory. So whatever, wherever you are in this, you're like, oh, well, how is, um, I talk about, I, I talk about this a little bit, but you should be excited to say, oh, I wonder how God is going to use this for his glory. Hmm. What is, <laughs> what does faithfulness look like in this messed up situation that we got that God is going to be like, ha ha, like, wow, God, you tell the best stories. So <laughs> good. Right. Uh, or, or like you say, Hey, when you, when you see yourself getting nailed in the coffin and they put extra nails in and latches and then they super glue the whole thing with tar or whatever, you know, like, and you're wrapped in there. You're like, oh, God's going to pull one off on this one. <laughs> this, this is going to be yeah. a crazy one right here. I yeah. wonder how he's going to do it, you know. But that's not – that, that we, we see because we're so angry, we're almost, you know, making things worse than the situation that we've been given.
Yeah. Uh, two things. One, I, my wife will be driving past like the construction of a new public school system and she'll see it. And she, she says things like, you go on and build us that building. We'll, we'll, we'll get it eventually. Right. So right. She's, which I, right. I, love, I love that attitude. She's, or she's, so she's always like, Ooh, what do you think God's going to use that building for? You know, uh, or like, Ooh, we could use that building. We should start praying for it. She always says stuff like that, uh, which I love. It's she's, uh, but the, um, the, oh man, now I can't remember the other thing I was going to say. I think there's, but I, I, it's such a different way of, it's a different set of expectations almost. Um, oh, I remember what the other thing was. I remember Doug and Greyfriars talking about how if you, if you encourage people to, um, disrespect the churches that they were in beforehand, then then eventually oh, wow. they'll di- the, you'll be one of the churches that they've left in disrespect, right? So you always encourage them to honor and respect whatever church they were in before, whatever church they grew that's up in. Good. That's um, good. You know, it just it's just because that's what we're that's what we're told to do. You know, so um, you know that if they were raised in an Armenian church, then he said the question you ask is, "But what were the good things?" What were the mm. good things you learned? Like, did they are they the ones that taught you to honor the Bible? Because if they are, then you should honor them for that. What are the good things? That's right. Um, rather than always trying to, I mean, a lot of churches you want to try, you feel like you should position yourself over against their previous church, um, as if you know now they've finally gotten here. But um, you actually, it's not good for their soul to That's think right. that way, right? They their soul should be grateful. Uh, it's good for their soul to be grateful, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was uh, you know, one of the many things that I learned from Doug about this sort of thing. 